Well, good morning, City Light Church. My name is Gavin. I'm a pastor for City Light, and uh, good to see you guys. City Light Church, we gather on Sundays. We scatter throughout the week, and this is Sunday morning gathering number 185. Ladies and gentlemen, been around for about three and a half years, and um, I've been here for uh, about 180 of the 185 Sunday morning gatherings. Brother's got to take a time off every now and then. Uh, but it's been a busy 185 weeks. And so uh, 185 weeks ago, there were about 30 of us sitting in a living room uh, praying. And since that time, we've grown from that small group uh, house Bible study to about 1,500 people. We've launched some 40 different city groups, baptized approximately 400 people. We've raised a few million dollars collectively, planted three different daughter churches. And uh, it's been a busy 185 weeks. Uh, I say that to say that things have gone very fast. Uh, in fact, Chris had a full head of hair when this thing got started. And you can see, um, additionally, I'm like 19 years old. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I, I blame you all for looking like this and what happened with Chris's hair. But uh, what can happen for us as things move fast is that for all of us, we can get busy working in the church. And we oftentimes don't slow down to actually look at the church or even work on the church. And so what we try to do is, is uh, every fall, we say, hey, we're busy, but let's, let's take a break and ask the question, are we busy being biblical? Are we busy doing the right thing? Stuff is happening, but are we actually becoming the kind of church that we think Jesus called us to be? And so when this whole thing got started, we prayed into, searched the Word of God and said, Jesus, what is it? What would be the core distinctives that would give shape, definition, and instruction uh, to a new church? And so enter in what we call our core values. Our core values are the kind of the why behind the what of all the different rhythms and things that we do as a church. And so every fall we take a few weeks, and um, if you come to the City Light Gathering any 45 other Sundays of the year, we're going to be teaching through a book of the Bible. Uh, but we like to take this bit as we get ready to kick off the fall and uh, take a look at our core values. And uh, we look from Scripture and give definition to those. So Chris kicked us off last week. We have four core values, gospel, formation, community, and mission that are summed up by four different directional arrows, arrows, arrows down, up, in, and out. So Chris talked last week about the down arrow, this idea of the gospel. Gospel meaning literally good news. And the idea is this. At the heart of the Christian faith, we have an initiating God. He is the one that pursues his children. He is the one who saves us by grace. He is the one who captures our hearts when we are yet running from him. And so it is our God who comes down in the person and work of Jesus to save sinners undeserving. And we say this is good news, that we have a God that moves towards us. And so when we were dead in our sin and our folly, God didn't send down some instruction manuals on how to remedy and improve our situation and become more righteous, holy, and good and, and achieve perfection in his sight. And said he came down as a substitute and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so the heart, sum, and center of the Christian faith is not good advice telling us what we ought to do to gain God's favor, but the good news that Jesus has done everything that we can't do that we might obtain his favor. That is the gospel. And so we say the most important posture in the Christian's heart is that of receiving. We're on the receiving end of God's grace. We're on the receiving end of God's forgiveness. We're on the receiving end of God's goodness. But in our receiving, we are then to respond. Enter in our other core values. We respond upward in what we call formation. Formation being that 
we should start to look more like Jesus over time. As we receive his grace, as we meditate on what he should done, we should, or has done, we should have a, a hatred for our sin and, and a, a more love for Jesus and conformity to his image. We respond inward in community. That God doesn't save us as rogue Christians, uh, but he saves us into the family of God. We're going to talk about that this morning, and then uh, in a few weeks we'll talk about the out, that God actually empowers us and gives us his mission and ministry to love and serve the world around us. And so this morning, um, we're going to save up to next week. I'm going to go a little bit out of order, and I want to talk to you about community. Community. And uh, I'll begin with this. At the very heart of the gospel message is the idea of community. We have God who is himself a community. We have a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, existing eternally past in community with one another. Genesis 1, God creates the world. He creates the man and the woman. He creates us in his image and his likeness, which means we are designed to live and thrive in community. Okay, Genesis 3, sin enters the human uh, equation, and what happens? Whereas we once lived in communion with God, that is now broken by our sin. Where we once lived in community with one another, that too is fractured and broken. And where there was once communion and community, there is now shame and there is hiding. What did our first parents do in the garden when they realized the guilt of their sin? They hid. They hid from each other. They hid from God. But Jesus comes and he pays for our sins and he begins to reverse the effect of those sins in our lives. And so our vertical communion with God is restored by the grace of Jesus and so too our horizontal community with each other is to follow suit. And so what we learn is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus not only saves us from our sins, he saves us also from our solitude. He saves us from our sins and our solitude. And in taking away our guilt, the gospel then frees us to move toward each other in love rather than away from each other in shame. We call this idea community. And so it's impossible to have a personal relationship with Jesus without having that um, take shape and affect the way that we relate to other brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called into a gospel community. Now, if you were to take a look at the New Testament and say, what is the predominant Uh, The the primary shape and context of the new gospel community, it's the local church. Jesus plants his church, he commissions his church, and what you see throughout the book of Acts and all the other epistles are rapid church planting and community happening in the shape of a local church. And so the church was never intended to be a place with programs. The church has always been and is a people with a purpose. We are a community, a community. And what canon does start to happen often is that we in our culture start to view and treat the church like a business. And so we look at the church like it's a place with programs, and we come here and, you know, we put our our offering in the the offering box and we dispense from it um, a good sermon, hopefully, if Chris is preaching, uh, mediocre if I'm preaching. Uh, We get some uh, engaging uh, worship experience, and we get some Christian classes from our kids. And so it's an economic you know, I contribute something, I get something. We view it like a business. But the, the church has never been a place. It's, it's a people. It's a family of God. It is a community. When we planted this church, we never said, hey, let's have a big event and try to get a bunch of people to show up. Never the goal. Um, events and crowds don't equal churches. It's a community. We said, hey, let's start a gospel-centered, disciple-making community. And uh, that's what happened. 
And so uh, the question for us this morning as we've grown considerably over the last three and a half years is how are we doing, okay? Uh, what I want to do this morning is have our three and a half year checkup. We're going to go back to the, to the pediatrician. We're going to have our three and a half year checkup. There's not going to be any shots for us this morning. Praise God. But I want to evaluate, hey church, how are we doing um, reflecting our core value and saying that we are a gospel-centered community. And so in so doing, I want to take a look at four different pictures that the Bible gets us, uh, gives us, rather, of what it looks like to be a gospel-centered community. And uh, we're going to hit them one at a time. So if you've got your program, yes, your program, not program, program, pull it out. And uh, we're going to take some notes this morning. I've got fill in the blanks. Number one, first picture we see of gospel-centered community is this. The church is a familial community. Said a more natural way, we are to be a family. Look at 1 John chapter 3 in the first few verses. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and he goes on. The idea being this, that, that we are, when we are saved by Jesus, we are adopted into his family and he becomes our father. Galatians chapter 4 says we have been adopted as sons. Romans chapter 8 says we have been adopted as sons. As the Apostle Paul writes letters to other Christians, he calls them brothers and sisters and talks about the older saints as mothers and fathers. And he talks about those that he's been discipling as his dear beloved children that he loves. And so we see we not only get a new father, we get a new family. And so for all of us, all the uh, Christians around the world, we would say are now our brothers and sisters in Christ, but even more particularly where we see that lived out and expressed is here in the context of a local church. And so the church, the first gospel image that we see is that we are to be a family. A lot of times people will say, you know, Gav, you always say you should join a city group, and we've tried it, but we've gone to some city groups, and you know some of them are just way too old, and some of them are way too young, and some smoke cigarettes, and we think that's a sin, and so that's awkward, and um, some are just filled with annoying people that we don't really connect with, and some just not sure. Some meet too often, and some meet not enough, and um, you know we're just having a hard time. And I say, you know what? That sounds a lot like my family, like. We must be doing something right then. Uh, how many of you go to ever, ever gone to a family function or a family reunion or Thanksgiving at your grandma and grandpa's and looked around that circle and thought, man, if we were not genetically connected, <laughs> there's, there's no way this meal is happening. Like there is nothing here except for shared genes, right? We've all got um, the, the crazy uncle that talks too much and the grandpa that says inappropriate things and the distant cousin that always wants to talk about politics at dinner and it just gets awkward, but that's part of the drill. Families are eclectic and eccentric, different and diverse, but they're families. That's the way it works. And so too, the predominant picture, one of the predominant pictures that the Bible gives us of the church, of a, of a gospel-centered community, is that of a family. But the glue that holds us together is not genetics, it's not similarity in age or interest, geography or career, but it's a shared heavenly father and a love for one another that transcends our affinities. And so when we think about city light, we're not thinking about a performance and a production. We've said, Jesus, would you make us a family? Would you help us to, to maintain and be a people, not primarily just a 
place. And so um, let me give you just a few things that I thought about just in drafting this notes for this morning of ways that we kind of let that um, um, why shape the what of how we do city life. So how do we try to keep things like a family? Number one, we eat together. And so I think we ran out of donuts this morning. Uh, It was a crazy nine o'clock hour. Uh, But as a goal, uh, we share breakfast together, even on Sunday mornings. That's been a part of our tradition since we very first got started. And uh, I want you to know the donuts are more than just a sugary incentive to get your kids in the room. That helps. I mean, that's the only reason my kids come to church. And so we do make that available to you. Uh, But the goal is not just that, but that we would eat together. And I don't know why it is, but, you know, for me to stand just toe-to-toe with a stranger and talk about life is really awkward. But you put food in your hands, suddenly it's more natural. You're eating, I'm eating, so let's talk. And you see that relationships are formed, and we eat meals together. If you were to join a city group, we make a, a regular habit to, to eat together. We share food with one another because that's what families do. Uh, When you go through the membership process, some of you have just gone through the membership process. Thank you for doing that. Tonight we have a dinner in this room for all the new members, and we're going to eat food, and we're going to share stories, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to encourage one another. We eat food because that's what families do, and that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He ate food because they were a spiritual family, and we are a family, and so we eat. Uh, Second thing, here's kind of a funny one. we leave the lights on on Sunday mornings. We love light bulbs. Thomas Edison was brilliant, and uh, we like lights. And I'm not saying that to diss a dark church, but what I am saying is that when we think about Sunday morning, we're not thinking about putting on a theatrical production with a certain wow factor that's going to attract more people. Our desire is to be together in a setting where we can learn from our Bibles and see the ink that's on the page because we think that that's the most important thing in the gathering. We want to see each other's faces. We want to take notes. We want to talk and engage. And so we leave the lights on. We're not trying to perform or wow anyone. We want to have a family reunion. We want to have a family Bible study, and we want to be get together as a family. And you're a good-looking family, so we like to see one another. Amen? Amen. Additionally, we encourage children to be in as many of the gatherings as possible. So we have City Light Kids, terrific ministry, uh, but also kids are always welcome and in fact encouraged to be in our gatherings. And so some may disagree with me and say, you know, the kids are a distraction and that's fine. You're welcome to think that, but we believe children are a blessing from the Lord and we receive them and we welcome them and they're not a distraction. They are a welcome part of our family. And I want my kids to see that they belong to a spiritual family. Some of you have different skin colors. Some of you live in different parts of the city. Some of you have different expressions. Some of you are very old, Steve. Some of you are very young. And so I want my kids to be a part of a spiritual family where they see, oh, I have aunts and uncles and grandparents and little brothers and sisters, and we are a family. Last one, we meet in homes throughout the week in city groups. So this is where we encourage each other. The church gathers on Sunday. We scatter throughout the week in city groups. We want to wrestle through scripture. We want to pray for one another. We want to know what's going on in each other's lives. We don't want to get weird, but we do want to be helpful. We want to be more than just small talk. We want to encourage one another, challenge one another, work out our differences, press in the gospel to each other's lives. And so picture number one, uh, we are a community, and what that means is we are to live as a family. Second point is this. The church is an upside-down community. The church is an upside-down community. So here's what happens. We're not only just a connected family, and so we're stuck with each other. There's also some new family values that get worked out, as there are in any family. Well, 
We have a heavenly father, and, and, and he creates certain family structures and values that we're to live out as the family of God. And these, by the way, are inverted and countercultural, by the way, from everything that we see and experience in the power and social structures of our world. And so you come into the family of God, and you learn that success is defined in terms of giving, not taking. Self-sacrifice, not self-protection. Going to the back, not getting to the front. We achieve power through service, and we find our riches in giving ourselves away. We're an odd family. But Jesus comes, he initiates his family, he flips the script and says, this is how we're going to live now as a family. It's going to be far different from every other family and power structure in the world. So listen to Mark chapter 10. The scene is this. A bunch of Jesus' disciples have kind of gotten into an argument about who's going to be top dog in the kingdom. And Jesus has this to say as he prescribes the power structure for his people. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, that's those outside of the church, those who don't know God, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's an incredible statement. That's an absolutely incredible statement. What I love about the scriptures, you see both the vertical and the horizontal. You see that the way that God has related to us vertically treats the way or affects the way that we treat one another horizontally. So he says, even the son of man in verse 45 came not to uh, be served, but serve. That phrase son of man Usually we think of that as a, uh, as a nod to Jesus' humanity. It's quite the opposite. That phrase was Jesus' favorite descriptor of himself, and he ripped it straight out of Daniel chapter 7. Well, he didn't steal it because he wrote it. Well, it was really the Holy Spirit. But anyway, it's his phrase. He coined it. The Son of Man out of Daniel 7 was referring to the high and lifted up, exalted, chosen one of God. So Daniel 7 says the Son of Man is high and lifted up. So what, what Jesus is saying is that God himself, being in a very place of exaltation, deserving of worship, comes down to the earth worthy for everyone to serve him. And he says, nope, I've got this one. Let me serve you. Let me live out the moral law in your place. Let me do it for you. Let me wash the feet of my disciples. Let me serve you. Let me serve you in the ultimate way by taking your sins on a cross in my body that I may taste death and you might have life. And he says, I've come to serve. So now, as you want to talk about who's top dog in this new family, remember who your father is. He is a servant. And the status quo in the family of God is one that's inverted in every single way. And so we don't come looking to receive, we come to give. We don't come harboring bitterness and fighting with one another, we extend forgiveness and grace. We don't come here looking for status and glory in the hip new church and who's going to rise to this leadership position and how can we trump one another? We say, no, 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 how can I come and get lower than you? How can I come and make my posture lower that you might be lifted up? And we welcome in the foreigner. We, we don't do our best to associate with the powerful. We do our best to get near the lonely and the lowly, those who have not, and bring them into a position of status and elevate theirs because that's what Jesus has done for us. It's incredibly countercultural. And I have to say, I just want to affirm this in our church. Um, this has been a unique experience for me for three and a half years to kind of see a church go from a living room to this. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes. 
And I've just had a front row seat, and I want to say it's amazing to watch a millionaire mop a floor next to a homeless man, and they call each other brother. I've seen families in this place take in single mothers, provide coats, shelter, um, food for their kids while the mom gets back on her feet. They pay all the bills, put them in the house. That happens. I'm seeing some of you right now who have, you've done that. You've been in that position. Dozens of you who have reached out to refugees in our city, cared for their needs, been generous with your resources to care for those who have no resources, patiently walked with and discipled kids in the neighborhood, driving in from different parts of the city to sit down with a student and share the love of Jesus with them. And I have to say, that matters. It absolutely matters. The greatest apologetic city light that we can have to the city of Omaha and to the rest of the world is the extent to which we will lay down our lives for the good of our brother. It's not just our words, it's not just our gospel tracts, it's not just our slick sermons or our cool building. Forget all of that. Our best witness is to what extent will we model Jesus to the world to our actions. And so we see that the kingdom of God is an upside-down one. So I just have to say thank you. If you are doing the humble and hard work of discipling a student, of showing up to be on a serve team where there is no glory, um, laying aside your resources, writing sacrificial checks, I want to say you're doing more than just being good and moral. You're showing the world a picture of Jesus on this earth. The community of God is an upside-down community. Third picture I would give you is this. The church is an empowered community. An empowered community. So first, we're a family. We're in this thing together. Number two, we have a different value structure. But number three, we're not just a passive family that sits around and sings kumbaya. And so Jesus says in Matthew 16, this crazy statement after Peter says that he's the Christ, he says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't know what he meant by that, but it doesn't sound weak, right? It sounds like an offensive thing. Like there's the gates of hell and and the church is an offensive force that is busting into the darkness. And here's what I do know, that Jesus, when we place our faith in him, puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. He then empowers us with his presence and his power to live out his mission and ministry in the world, and we then become the hands and feet of Jesus. We are a force. And what happens is God gives all of us a role to play and a service to give. And all of us work together for the good of the whole. So the predominant biblical metaphor, uh, there are many, but one of the main ones is that of a body. So we as a church are many members, but we come together to serve um, one head, which is Jesus Christ, and to work as a team, and we all have a role to play. Uh, Listen to uh, maybe the most famous section on this idea, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. It says, "For, for there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities... But it is the same God who empowers, there's our word, them all and everyone, everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And so Paul says, listen, the church is not like a preacher in a crowd. He says, no, 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 no. It's a community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit, each one with an act of service and an empowered ministry to give. And we come together, those gifts are given to us for the common good of the church and the ministry of Jesus in the world. Uh, Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, also over in Romans chapter 12, easy to remember the list because they're both chapter 12 and the books are next to each other in the Bible. There's a little hint to you. We get a list of the spiritual gifts and they're diverse and they're not exhaustive, but you get a picture of what the empowered church looks like. 
It says that some have the gift of, of teaching and some tongues and some leadership and some discernment and some exhortation and some hospitality and some mercy, some generous financial giving, some exhortation. But all of us have a gift and they come together to serve one body and one head who is Jesus Christ. And so God has brought us together, listen, City Light, not to attend church services. He has brought us together to be the church. Do you see the difference? You're not at a church service. This isn't a service. This is a gathering of the church. You're not at church. You are the church. We are the church. And when we center around the gospel, what happens is consumers move to contributors and, and observers become owners. And Jesus empowers us to be the church. It's been incredible to watch this played out over the last 185 weeks. When we planted this thing, there were like six of us, and we had like 42 bucks. You know, we all pitched in everything we had. And we did not follow a program. We didn't get a book called Church Planning for Dumbies that had a, a although that would have helped. I found out there is one. That would have been really helpful three years ago. We, we didn't have a program that we rolled out. There was no do this, now do this kind of step by step. Instead, we got together, we prayed, we gave our attention to this book, we prayed for Christians, and Christians came. We prayed for non-Christians to become Christians, and God saved some new Christians. God then empowered those people um, with gifts, and all of a sudden, the reach and ministry of the church started to grow as people took in uh, ownership and used their spiritual gifts for the work of ministry. It's been an absolutely incredible thing. Some people have given sacrificially very small checks that were very big to them. Some people have given very large checks that were also very costly and sacrificial to them. Some people have waken up, woken up, I don't know the word, at 5 a.m. They woke up at 5 a.m. to set up our chairs every morning for the last several years. Some people have helped us, have volunteered dozens of hours helping us navigate buildings and church plants and construction and the next step. Some people have mopped floors every Sunday until 2 p.m. Uh, some people come every Wednesday night and disciple neighborhood kids. Some people come to two gatherings so they can rock a new baby's mother during the nine and catch the sermon at the 11. As each one of us has done our part, we've seen that the church has become an offensive force to where hell's ground is being taken, God's kingdom is taking ground, new people are meeting Jesus because everyone has done their part. I don't think the devil feels intimidated when we come to services and listen to sermons. I think he feels the force against his gate when we show up to serve. When we say the spirit of God is in me and there's a ministry in me and I'm not an observer, I'm an owner of this thing and I am the church. And I'm going to pray, I'm going to make disciples and I'm going to do my part. As we do our part, the church goes forward. Now some of you might say, okay preacher, how do I know my spiritual gift? I've heard like nine sermons on this thing. I don't feel particularly gifted. I've heard everybody's got one. Some people think you got more. I don't know. What am I good at? What is my spiritual gift? Okay. There's a whole bunch of like online tests. You can do inventories and fill out things. And those are helpful. You may do one of those and, and whatever. Those are helpful. I've taken some. But I would, I would ask you to approach it maybe a different way this morning. Rather than um, thinking about yourself, I'd ask you to think about the church. After all, your spiritual gifts are not for you. They're entrusted to you that you might gift them back to the church. And so rather than saying, what are my spiritual gifts? I would ask you, what are the gaps that you see in the church? Oftentimes in observing weak areas of the church, you're actually going to feel God's prompting to step into a ministry and a role. So some of you may ask the question, well, why doesn't City Light do more ministry in the neighborhood? Well, because we've been waiting on you, quite frankly. And uh, 
we've prayed that you would ask that question. And so we've got a neighborhood engagement team that would love your leadership, help, and resources, right? Some may say, there's so many young families. Why do we not have more discipleship resources for young parents? Well, we've been waiting for you to put something together, actually. Maybe the Lord is prompting you to step into that role. A lot of times the gaps that you see are God leading you to a place of gifting and ministry. Some people would say, well, I thought that was the Holy Spirit prompting me to send a critical email to the pastor. No, that wasn't what he was doing. That wasn't. And some people, they think that's their spiritual gift. Believe me, you know. And uh, I didn't see that in the list. I didn't see cranky emails. And so maybe the Holy Spirit is actually saying, hey, it's not Chris's fault. Maybe you're the one to step into that gap. Maybe Chris is covering some gaps over here. And, and, and maybe Nicole is ga- covering some gaps over here. And, and maybe Reed is covering some gaps. And I see this gap. Maybe that's my gap to fill. So what are the gaps? Where would Jesus call you to serve in the local church as we each do our part? Now, some of you may say, I don't know about gaps. Like, I just, I like the donuts and the sermons, and I, I do whatever you want. How can I help? Great question. I am so glad you asked that this morning, uh, because next, or in two weeks, we're going to go to three gatherings. So we're going to meet at 8, we're going to meet at 9.30, and we're going to meet at 11. It takes about 30 people to serve on a serve team to do one gathering. They serve approximately once a month. There's approximately four Sundays in a month. And so you've got 30, 60, 90, 120 new volunteers that we need in two weeks. And so there's literally a sign-up in the back. Uh, Chris is going to talk about it in a little bit. Additionally, we're going to have more City Light Kids classes so that more people can come, hear about the gospel. Would you serve with City Light Kids? We need about 65 new City Light Kids team members starting in two weeks. And uh, you might say, well, I need to pray about it. And I say, no, you don't. You actually don't. You actually don't. Uh, I want you to know you have Jesus' permission to serve the local church, okay? Like, oh, Lord, should I serve selflessly one hour once a month? Yes, you should do that. You should. I'll tell you what God said. He died for his church. You should serve at least one hour for his church. Amen? Amen. I think I know what the Lord would say to that. Not trying to guilt you into this, but I am trying to say, listen, We're not at a church service. We are a gathering of the church, and you are empowered to walk as a Christian to serve the local church and its ministry. We are an empowered community. Last picture I would show you this morning, and then I will be done. Uh, The church is a worshiping community. We're a worshiping community. You might say, well, Gavin, of course. Uh, That goes without saying. I, I don't think that it does. I think we need to be intentional and explicit to say what we are doing here this morning is not about us. It is about God. This whole thing is in the service of the Lord Jesus. If what the gospel said is true, that Jesus has come, God himself incarnate, sacrificed himself and given us life, then the very centerpiece and functional center and goal of everything we do should be to lift high the name and fame of Jesus. In other words, the church does not primarily exist as a place for us to serve, as a place for us to consume, as a place for us to engage, for our self-improvement, our self-actualization. That may happen, but the, the functional center, the nucleus of this place is the worship of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 says that he is the head of the church. And verse 16 says that all things are from him and all things are for him, which is to say that Jesus planted this church. He is the chief shepherd, and it exists for his worship, his glory, his exaltation. And so in all things, we exist to worship God. 
the end of the preaching, the end of the serving, the end of the sacrificing, the end of everything we do is that the name and fame would be lifted high of Jesus. He is the treasure of the church. We exist to love him, serve him, honor, respect, obey him, worship him, because he alone is the center of the community of the church. I'll end now with this. If you're new to City Light, if you're sitting on the fringes, I want to invite you in. I want to invite you into community. I want you to know you did not wander into a spectator sport this morning. We're happy to serve you. We have some good donuts for you and a sermon that we hope is beneficial to you. But the invitation is not to come to church, but be the church. Jesus is our Father. Would you place your faith in him if you have not? And join the team. Join the family of God. It's so much fun. I can look around this room and I can literally see people who have become like spiritual fathers and mothers to me. Like spiritual younger brothers, younger sisters, older brothers, older sisters, grandparents. Chris is everyone's fun uncle, you know? (laughs) And we're a countercultural family. I love that I can look around this room and see, man, there are people here looking to serve, not to take. There are people who are here that write checks that is just stupid to the world. Why would you do that? What's your ROI? Uh, How many zeros are on that? What are you doing? But to Jesus, it makes complete sense. Of course we would. He's our treasure. I see people in here who have labored and given away dozens of hours, who who have driven across town to sit with someone in need and hear their story and be a friend to them. It's a counter cultural community. It's an empowered community that we want to invite you into. The Holy Spirit lives in you if your faith is in Jesus, and he's given you a role to play. And it's not our burden, it's our great joy to be a part of the family of God and join in the family chores of our family business. And so I would just ask you, how would Jesus have you respond today? How would you respond to the gospel by moving inward toward community? Maybe you just need to change your view And quit thinking about the church like a restaurant, you know? Like, we'll go to this one because they've got this entree, and then we'll go over here. And and, uh, listen, we're not weird. You're free to switch churches. That's all fine, and that's dandy. But but at the end of the day, we need to say, hey, the church is not just a producer of things for my consumption, but it's a family to belong to. Would Jesus help you treasure his bride that he died for and be a part of it? Uh, maybe today would be the day you'd move from consumer to contributor. Very simply, I'm serious. We've got a sign up in the back. We're praying for upwards of 200 people to say, yeah, sign me up. How can I help from setup to security to the worship team to AV to teardown to cleaning bathrooms? It takes a lot of people, and uh, we'd ha- love to have a lot of people help. Uh, maybe it would mean for you, you just need to reprioritize your schedule so that you can actually be a part of a city group. To say, listen, soccer practice is important, and my dinner club is important, and having a clean house is important, but I don't think I'm going to get to the end of my life and think I wish I had played more soccer and had a cleaner house. But I think we're going to have a great joy when we can look back on the family of God and the discipleship ministry that we've had and the the community that we've been able to foster, and we walk into Jesus arm in arm with our brothers and our sister into our ultimate family reunion, that last wedding feast, when we will see Jesus face to face, and he'll say, well done, well done. And so City Light, listen, uh, big was never the goal, but we got big. A crowd was never the goal, but we've got a crowd. Uh, but let me say this, big and crowd are not bad. It just means a bigger family and more intentionality to be a community. And so I want to contend for you. You're welcome. We love you. Come and be a part of this, but don't just see it as a consumer. Join the family of God. There's such a richness as we experience the gospel and move inward toward community. So let me pray that that would be true of us. Jesus, you are amazing. And Heavenly Father, you are an amazing Heavenly Father. 
and we are an eclectic and eccentric weird family. But we are so thankful that you have knit us into your family and you have brought us together as the church family. God, in my prayers that that would be who we are, that we would push back against the cultural narrative that says that it's all about us. It's individual achievement and get ahead and get what you need and care for number one, but that we would die to ourselves and say, it's not about me, it's about us and the good of my brother and laying down my rights and my power so that other people might get ahead. God, I pray that this family would look a lot like Jesus to the onlooking Omaha and people to the ends of the earth. God, I can preach this, but only you um, can do that work in our hearts. So help us to treasure you and um, to live out that family identity to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.